up your Bibles to Habakkuk, chapter 1. As we continue, we have already spoken on the first five verses, first four verses, several weeks ago. I will speak on the next six verses, with some comments on the first verse. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help? And you will not hear. Or cry to you violence. And you will not save. Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Yahweh says this, Habakkuk, look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who march through the breadth of the earth to size dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like eagles, swift, devour. They all come for violence and their face forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at the very for- every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you like always for your word, Father. How relevant it is for every generation of faithful believers, Father God. It speaks to every area of life, Father God. It gives insight, it gives understanding, and yes, God, it even challenges the depth of our faith. It challenges our understanding of who you are, a just God that cannot tolerate evil. It challenges us, Father God. Let us not run away from the challenging texts into more comforting waters, Father God, that soothe us. God, teach us to wrestle with the problem of evil the way Habakkuk wrestled in prayer with you. Teach us to open up our minds and our hearts to do what Habakkuk did and look and see that you are doing a work, God. Though it might be unconventional and we don't understand the full mystery of it and the depth of it and the width and the height and the breadth, but it is your answer, Father God. Your word makes it clear. It does not leave us in the darkness. gives us light. gives us understanding, Father God. And I pray, Father God, as the weeks go on, as we go through this text and we study this man and this prophecy and your answer to him, Father God, and we understand that your ways are not our ways, your thoughts are not our thoughts, Father God. They're much higher than us, God. I pray we have the same comfort as Habakkuk did. Though the fig tree produces no fruit, yet I will trust the Lord. In Jesus' name. Let me just open up my water. Needless to say, we are living in a time that just seems to get worse every day. We started speaking on Habakkuk because of what we've seen going on in our nation, what's going on in the world. 
What does the word of God say to it? What's a believer to think? How does a believer to respond? Does faith engage the circumstances that are taking place in our nation today or, or taking place in the world today? Can I find comfort in the word of God? And as believers, we know we can do that. But just because we know Jesus wins at the end, how many people know Jesus wins at the end? Okay. The heart is slow to learn sometimes. And we still got to go to bed with heavy hearts. We got to go to bed with fears. We got to see what's taking place. Uh, We can't go into this with our eyes closed. It's all going to go away. Please, if that is you, wake up. Smell the coffee. Nothing's going away. It's real. It's hard life we're facing now. And as believers, we really need to go deeper into the word of God like Habakkuk did and listen to what God is up to. Period. In our first sermon, we opened up with the prophet's cry, How long, O Lord? You know, and that's, that's a familiar cry. We've all gone through our own personal testimonies of waiting on God to do something, the need for God, a comfort from God, an answer from God, a word from God, a touch of God, the presence of God. And we've all cried out, how long, O oh Lord? Many non-believers might even cry this out in the foxholes of their life. And when we did this, we saw a man, a man of God, who was steeped in God's word, a man who was convinced of God's majesty. This man was convinced of the majesty of God and his, his awesome power. He was convinced of his right to rule the universe. Habakkuk was a man who was convinced that the law of Moses was God's very own word. He was convinced that God had a just attitude towards evil. And it was this total convinced nature of Habakkuk concerning the Hebrew God, Yahweh, his God, who he served in the temple, that there's something wrong with the picture. How can this continue to go on? The evil he's speaking about specifically in the early 608 BC was... Uh, the corrupt leadership in Jerusalem and Judea. They were corrupt. Historically, there was a good king named Josiah who was on the throne. He brought all sorts of reforms. The, the nation was prospering again. There was, there was pure worship of God again. And Habakkuk was part of the ministry in the temple. He was, he was a Levite. He sung hymns and praises to God. And he saw a revival of sorts. And he saw men and families and coming back. And they were worshiping God again. And, and things were good. There was hope. There was promise in this administration of Josiah. But Josiah suffered an untimely death. And his son took over. But his son was nothing like the father. A brutal dictator. King Jail King. And every good thing that the father had done and was doing in the time of his death, his son undid it all. And it went from bad to worse overnight. And, Joseph, and, 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 and the prophet Habakkuk is prophesying. He's, he's crying out, not just for himself, he's crying out for all the righteous in Jerusalem, all the righteous in Judea. How long, oh God, are we going to watch this? They've taken your law, they perverted it, it, it it's lost its power, the, the, the righteous are suffering at the hands of the wicked, all I see is violence, contention, strife, I'm watching the, the devastation and the destruction of a good nation, 
I'm watching it disintegrate before my eyes, God. It was going so well. One man ruined it all. One administration took it over. Something has to be done. And the prophet's cry, his burden, his oracle, carries with it not just what he sees. God, you've made my eyes to see violence. There's a burden in itself to watch the good law of God ruined. To watch the the society of God, the community of God being torn apart. But yet he has this other searching question. God, you stand by idly and do nothing. There's a double question here. It's not just a question of what he sees. And he's living in his, his, his own uh, uh, social way. He's living it out in his own experience. He's watching it happen, the devastation. But at the same time, he feels God's doing nothing. Idly standing by. It means indifferent. Why are you indifferent, God? You're immune. Are you immune to the evil I'm watching? Don't you see what I see, God? Don't you, don't you hear what I hear? And he's questioning the character of God. He knows he's a good God. He knows the creator. He knows he birthed Israel out of one man, Abraham. He knows it. He knows the promises. But still, all he sees is evil and human depravity, and he thinks God is out to lunch. And we all know that. There are times our prayers don't feel like they get past the ceiling. There are times we don't feel the presence of God. There's times we just we really feel like God has deserted us personally. We know it's not true, but life points to it, doesn't it? Sometimes, don't you feel? Ministers can go through this. A minister can pour out his heart year in and year out, maybe a decade, and not see one convert. And the ones that are there aren't growing at all. And they can cry out, why, oh God, why? We all know the cry, how long, oh God. We all know it. There are times it feels like God is just indifferent, and that's a fearful thing. Even the Christ himself cried out, why have you forsaken me? It's something every Christian is going to go through. A church will go through it. A family will go, a husband and wife, children, they're going to go through it. Maybe a whole nation, maybe a whole Christian church in America saying, what's going on? And that's what we were doing. We were tying into the contemporary scene today. As American Christians, I hear constantly you know, this is the end. God's coming. You know, this, Jesus is around the corner. This is the end, and it's all going to come crashing in. This is the second coming. It was right here, and 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 I, I can see a sort of an anxiousness in many Christians' hearts over what they're seeing today: the dismantling of a great nation. We're watching the disintegration of a great nation. A great nation. But there was a greater nation than us. It was called Israel. A theocracy birthed by God. And if you don't think we're trashing the Constitution, please understand they trashed the law of God and paralyzed it. If man doesn't care about divine law, why does he care about man's law? Don't be shocked. 
of what we see taking place in America today. And as Christians, how are we supposed to navigate this? Well, here's one thing I want to try to bring out as we go through Habakkuk over the weeks, is that we have no emotional knee-jerk reactions. We don't go there. We don't go there. When fears come and anxious moments, thoughts, and angers come because we see the laws being perverted, we see this great social change taking place, we see the old and traditional being replaced by something that's unreasonable and, 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 and demonic. And we're watching it happen before our eyes. A God that was, a nation that was sensitive to, to God, a nation that was sensitive to Christ, a nation that was at one time a, a, a Christian influence was upon legislation, upon the government, upon the education system, upon family matters. But now it's nowhere to be found. God is taken out of everywhere. And we're watching the dismantling of this great and wonderful nation. And at the same time, we're watching things take place, not just in this nation and around the world, that are challenging our understanding of who God is. But please understand, we're going to find out something, not just today, and as the weeks go on over Habakkuk, that long before we say, God, how long, God already was at work. He's already at work. He's not waiting to say, oh, when, when am I going to respond? Son, when should we respond? I don't know, Father. Spirit, I'm not sure. The, the cry's not loud enough. Uh, I, I'm not sure what we should do. Wait, wait till they get beaten down more. Then we'll respond. The American landscape is changing very rapidly. How many people know that? Honestly, know it in your heart. Oh, yeah. Do you know when the scriptures in the New Testament teach us that the end is going to come quickly? That's what it means. It means this. It's not going to come as soon as Jesus was resurrected and ascended. It means when they start to change, they change rapidly, exponentially, and there's no stopping it. Real fast. Pa, 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 pa. Picks up speed. It's like history is not going up a hill. History, human history has gone over the hill and it's now rapidly declining. And that's where we're living. Wrong is right. Right is wrong. It's a secularism, a a spirit of this world that's taken over. Even common sense is dead. You can't even find any of it. I mean, you might as well have a a wake and a funeral for common sense. It doesn't exist anymore. And fear and anxiety is everywhere in the human heart's And as Jesus says, when you see these signs approaching, do not be alarmed. Do not be alarmed. And that's my concern as a pastor. That's John's concern is that we're not people running around reading a newspaper alarmed like everybody else. Or desensitized like everybody else. Oh, that's just another thing. Understand something. It's going to escalate. It's going to get worse. And we are not to have a knee-jerk reaction to it. We have the gospel of Christ. We have the answer to this world. And as we get into Habakkuk in the weeks to come, we're going to find a man who was crying out, How long, O Lord? All he sees is violence to a man full of repose and calm over God's answer and who God is. And that's what we're going to find out. 
We will see tonight the beginning of God's answer. And I want to say that I'm only going to cover five or six verses over here. So it could actually leave you sort of anxious. But there's a reason. Because God's first answer left the prophet anxious. Do you ever ask a question and the answer gets you to ask more? Do you ever get an answer and you say, no, that wasn't really satisfactory? You know, uh, I need to take a vacation. All right, I'll give it to you soon. Okay, that's nice, but continue over here. And we, we come to these places that the answer is not totally satisfactory. And we find this dialogue going on between Habakkuk and God. And God gives an answer, the beginning of their answer in, in verse 5. But we're going to find out when we get to verse 12, Habakkuk really not satisfied with the answer. We'll speak about that next week. But God does begin to give an answer. And it's one so astounding that Habakkuk really cannot comprehend it. Meaning this. If another man was to come to Habakkuk and say, Habakkuk, this is what God is going to do. Habakkuk wouldn't have believed it. It was so astonishing that God himself had to tell the prophet. Because if someone else said it, they would have said, I I won't believe that. God would never, never say this. God would never say that. You say, is that the word of God? Got to go to the word of God. And then what we see here is an answer that's given much peace to many Christians over over the years, many believers. uh, But let let me tell you something right now. Get ready for the answer. Because it's an answer you probably don't want to hear. The beginning is not really one. It challenges our faith. It challenges our understanding of God. It gets us to wrestle with God. It's a question that's asked, an answer that's given. The answer is not satisfactory, and it pushes to ask more questions. But understand something about Habakkuk, and understand something about the Word of God. When you sincerely, from the right heart, ask God something, guess what? He's going to give you an answer. Inquiring minds want to... Understand something. Those who ask questions from the right heart get right answers. And that is a theological, biblical principle. There is a right right way to say, why does God allow evil with a smugness? Like, now I got you, Christian. Because you can't answer that Christian pastor. Now I'm going to crush the Christian woman. Now I got you right in the corner where there's no escape. I've gotten that question many times. How does God allow children to die? Pastor. You ever get that one? I'm like, oh, that question. Okay. You want the quick answer or you want the long answer? Or does, you know, Brian, really tell me. I really want to know. How does this work out? Why does God do that? You see the difference? There's the accusatory tone. And there's the genuine inquisitive, I really like to know what's going on in the world. There is a difference. Habakkuk's cry is real. It's sincere. God meets him where he is. God will meet you and me where we are. I ask you this. Do you want to know what's taking place in the world today? God has the answer. And God begins answering Habakkuk, cry for justice. And he starts answering this perpetually over God's seeming indifference. 
In the, nation, in the face of national corruption, God seems to be twiddling his thumbs. And he says this in verse 5. Habakkuk, look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if another man told you. That's what he said. Unless I tell you myself, if I don't give it to you in a vision, in an oracle, so real... From my own lips, as though I took you into the council of heaven and sat you down and explained it to you, you would not believe it. It comes to you by way of oracle, it comes by way of revelation. Look among the nations. Habakkuk is called by God to look outside of his own contemporary political, spiritual context to see the answer. Habakkuk saying, look God, look at the violence, look at this. And God saying, no, look at this. Habakkuk saying, no, but look at Jerusalem, look at Judea. God saying, no, look at the whole world. You've got your mind on this little geographical issue going on. But I'm Jehovah God. I'm watching over the whole world. I'm watching over everything. You've got to get outside yourself, Habakkuk. Buy the paper. Get on Twitter. Get on Facebook, Habakkuk. You're living in the back rooms, Habakkuk. Find out what really is going on in the world, Habakkuk. Get out of your own little world to find the answer. And we see something here, just go a little application. God's answers to life's problems are often bigger than we expect. Habakkuk's looking at his own little Jerusalem, Judea problem. God's saying that's nothing compared to a global, universal problem. If you want the answer to the little problem, you have to know the big problem. And I often share this with people. As I said already, people want to know what... How come there's evil? How come there's a devil? Why can't God do this? Why can't do that? You know, if God's so powerful, God is so loving, why is there so much disaster? And I simply say this, you want the fast answer or the long answer? If you want the long answer, we'll sit down and have coffee. No one ever took me, takes me up on that. They want the fast, snappy answer. Fast, snappy answer. I said, you want the fast answer? I said, the personal sin. I said, your sin and my sin is the problem. Then I give him another option. Now you want the long version? God's creating a new heaven and a new earth. You want to sit down and find out about the good stuff? Sit down, let's talk about it. That's why it's that way. That's why it's complicated. That's why it's complex. It's not no simple thing. You want the fancy answer? It's your sin that's doing it. The prophet is called to look at the bigger geopolitical global scene what he's saying, have a cup, justice is coming. It might be slow. It might be unconventional, but it is coming. I'm way ahead of you, Habakkuk. I've seen my apostate, idolatrous people worshiping other gods and perverting my law. Though I sent Jeremiah to them, Zephaniah to them, Nahum to them. I'm sending you to them. They will not repent, just like Israel didn't repent. And I sent them into captivity. Guess what? I'm sending them into captivity too. Justice is coming. Habakkuk is called 
to look and to see these words are instructive to him and us today. Habakkuk is called by God to examine closely what's taken place in the world. You would say, well, what does that do to me and you? Well, we can watch TV and we get so used to, oh, look at this, another horror story. Look, more police are killed. Look at another car bomber. Oh, oh, oh what's for dinner, hon? But, oh, 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 yeah, sure, I'll be there, you know. And our world is really tough. I don't say that lightly. This is the way I say it. I'll tell you right now. I can answer you this. How do you know you're really taking serious what's going on in the world today? This is how you know. If you're a praying man and a praying woman, you're taking it serious. If you're not, you're desensitized to what's taking place. That's it. Stop with what's going on. Stop, I can't believe it. Stop, Jesus is coming. But you're not on your knees and you're not praying with the community of faith of what's taking place in the world. Christians need to hear that. Christians, you need to hear that. Because you can get desensitized. And you can watch the horrors go forth. Just like they heard in 1939 that they, they, what was going on in Auschwitz and what was going on in Poland. They heard the cries of the, the blitzkrieg was coming, but nobody wanted to listen. Because it was, it was involved in their life. We don't want to get messy. It won't really happen. One man can't take over the world. No. Germany was defeated already. They, they can never rise up out of the ashes. And Poland was the first to know. And they fell nation by nation. And even America still didn't want to get in. Churchill pleaded to come and save us and help us. And it took an act of war against America to finally have our eyes opened up. We are desensitized. And we watch what's taking place in America. We watch what's taking place. And and we want to quote Revelation this. And we want to quote the man of lawlessness. And we want to quote the second coming of Christ. And no one's praying. Everybody's quoting. But no one cares. Is this the faith Jesus calls for in Luke 18 when he calls his church to pray with persistent prayer that God would hear the cry of his elect and they would not have to wait long for justice? And remember what Jesus says at the end of the story? When the Son of Man appears, will he find faith on the earth? Oh Jesus, I read Revelation but I was playing Pokemon. I was running all over and I'm getting caught up and... I say this as a pastor. Please understand. It's getting bad. And God just told Habakkuk, Habakkuk, before it gets better, it's going to get worse. I'm telling you today, if you never hear from another minister, before it gets better, it's going to get worse. And I ask you, where is your heart? Where is your faith? Are you on God's side? Are you really seeking the mercy of God and the help of God? Or is it you're just complaining? Are we just complaining? I'm just tired of all the messy stuff. Just just vote 
another president and he'll take care of all my woes. Study the world scene. Look, Habakkuk, see. It's instructive to you. It'll tell you what I'm up to. Look and be convinced by what you see. I'm up to something in the world. Study the world scene, Habakkuk. Look outside yourself. Look outside your personal concerns. Look through. Though your, 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 your cry is honorable. And it's just. And it's needed in your own little world. There's a bigger problem I'm dealing with. Not your drone little circumstance see what we want God to do is run over here and put out a fire then God run over there and put out like he's some kind of uh, uh, local deity who just puts out little fires and you don't see him as the omnipotent one who stands above the circle of the earth the earth is his footstool and the heavens are his throne and he looks down and he's taking care of everything everything But we want God to come in and take care of our little, make me feel comfortable in America again. Oh God, bring me back to a Norman Rockwell type of painting. And, you know, I just want to feel safe again, God. And God has a word for the American church. Look and see. Look and see. And pray. The seven seals are being opened as we speak. Death is on the march. Death is on the rise. The Lamb has taken the scroll. He's opening the seven seals since the moment he left this earth on his ascension and he sat down at the right hand of God. It was handed to him, the scrolls of human history. He's opening up the seals and we're watching it happen before our eyes. It's going to get worse before it gets better. Anybody who says anything else is wrong according to the scriptures. There's a bigger problem God's dealing with. It's called human sin, human rebellion. Please understand as we are using Habakkuk as a sort of prism to understand what he was going through and the principles, these timeless principles to believers in every age and applying it to our own life. As much as these principles in Habakkuk are beautiful and they, they, they really get better. Before I can really preach on the beauty of Habakkuk, i got to preach on the, the fear and the darkness that Habakkuk saw. Before I can really speak about a, a changed prophet that we see in chapter 2. Before I can tell you about, write down the vision, it's for an appointed time. Before I can explain to you that the righteous live by faith. Before I can uh, explain to you the deep cry of Habakkuk's heart. Though God, in judgment... Remember mercy. Before we can get into all that good stuff, we really got to take a real hard look at human life the way it is, and it is not good. Amen? But as much as Habakkuk teaches us so much clarity, a greater Habakkuk has come. A greater prophet has come who has given us greater clarity, and that's the Son of God. And what he's doing and what he said doesn't speak in just a little Jerusalem. When Jesus spoke his apocalyptic teachings on the Mount of Olivet in Matthew chapter 24 and chapter 25, he wasn't just speaking about Jerusalem. There was a microcosm of something greater and grander that was coming. Judgment on the whole world. You sit here today with me. Judgment on the whole world. I'm just, I'm just hungry. I want about a parking space. 
I want about a raise. Do you know what they told Jeremiah when he prophesied to the same people? That's not going to happen, Jeremiah. The prophets over here are saying, peace, peace. They're saying, don't listen to the prophet Jeremiah. All he does is prophesy bad things. Indifferent. Desensitized. And guess what happens? They came marching in on the Habakkuk. You know Habakkuk probably died within two years of this prophecy. He knew impending doom was coming. And he did. Within two years, Jerusalem was ruined, ransacked, and burned to the ground. And most likely, he died. He knew what was going to happen to him in just a couple of years. He was prophesying and preaching on the eve of destruction. The church has so much to learn from this man. So much to learn from Christ. The church has to rise up and really take what's going on in an international, the national, local scene, serious. We need to be a people. There's only one answer God gives us. My people must pray. My people must pray. My people must pray. And that is it. The day will come in America that the only joy you're going to have is found in the house of God because it ain't going to be out there. Fear and destruction are going to be everywhere. And the only joy and the only peace are going to be just rolling around in our Bibles under candlelight just saying, Jesus, we love you. Come, Lord Jesus, Maranatha. That will be it. All the joy is going to be found in Jesus, nothing outside. Fear and trembling. Do I need to remind you what Jesus said? As in the days of Noah, so it will be in these times. They'll be eating, they'll be drinking, they'll be buying, they'll be selling, they'll be marrying and giving in marriage, they'll be having a good time, they're going to be hucking it up, they'll be desensitized, they're going to feel the rain, but they're not going to think nothing, but the rain's not going to stop, and the rain's not going to stop, and then the earth is going to give up its water, and that silly little man making a silly little boat's going to start floating off the ground, and Jesus says, then they understood. And we're living in a time where we're going to turn around and people are going to say, then they understood. But that's when it's too late. Jesus' prophecies deal with a more global dynamic, a more closer to the second coming of Christ, a more closer setting up the new heaven and the new earth. Habakkuk prophecies were mere foreshadowings of the bigger narrative of the crucifixion of Christ and the second coming of Christ. Habakkuk is told by God to look and see and be astounded. Unless God had revealed this to his prophet, what was happening, he would not have recognized it as the work of God. As the work of God. He could have easily looked at it and said, look at the Chaldeans are coming, the Babylonians are coming, they're fierce, they're like wolves, they're like leopards, they're ruining everything in their sight. They're even coming to Jerusalem. Here they're coming. I'm on our back door. I'm only moments away from being. He would have never understood that God was doing it. Unless God had told him. Please, I don't come up here and preach some empty prophecy. What I'm telling you is what the word of God teaches us. The end is coming. It's been coming. It is rapidly coming. And the closer we get, the faster it comes. Please, let's not look to a man or a woman for our safety. We got to look to Christ. We got to pray. Saints, we have to pray. It is the only answer. I'm fully convinced it's the only answer. 
And not just that, that God was raising up a people, a wicked nation was coming. Wicked. This is unthinkable. They were brutal. They feared no one. The Chaldeans feared no one and everybody feared them. In five verses it describes uh, the, 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 the brutal character that God was raising them up. God was raising up a brutal nation to judge Israel. Try to win souls with that message. There are times where the message should win souls. There are times the message should warm hearts. And there are times the message should get us to have fear and trembling at the feet of God. And not treat God as some local deity, some kind of bobblehead God to come and fix our little geopolitical problems and make life simple again. The Babylonians in verse 7 are a dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. God was raising up the Babylonians who were not concerned with human law. They were not concerned with divine law. Because they were a law unto themselves. They had no respect for human government or common human decency. He was raising up brutality. If Habakkuk does not hear this from God's own mouth, God told him what would happen. You would not believe it. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like eagles, swift to devour This speaks of their military strategies. Well, like I said already, the German Blitzkrieg. It was speed, no questions asked, no mercy given. Brutal regimes. We see brutal regimes today. And someone would ask, Brian, are you telling me God is behind ISIS or God is behind what's the terror and God is behind what's taking place? Can I sit there and say God is uh, diabolically killing children? That's a real question. It's a real, real question. How does God work in this world with evil governments and evil men, evil women, and the innocent are being killed? How do we comprehend this? Do we dare ask the question? I'll give you the answer next week because that's when Habakkuk died. I'm not going to get ahead of God's answer to the prophet. They come for violence, verse 9 says. They come for violence. It's interesting. Backslidden Judah is characterized by violence and God says, you want violence? Then I'm going to bring an invading people that are more violent than them. I'm going to bring discipline to you by a more violent nation than yourself. Because a nation will reap what? You and I will reap what? Any nation, any people, we will reap what we sow. A nation will do it, you will do it, I will do it. You can't get away from it, no matter what you want to think. That's the way it is. There's no nation safe. 
Verse 11 says that this nation, these Babylonians, these Chaldeans, they sweep on like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their strength. Their God was their power to conquer anybody that got in their way. They feared no one. They feared no one. So I look. And I see and I read and I, and I see what's taking place in the world today. And I'm going, what's going on? How do I pray as a Christian man, a Christian minister? How do I, how do I take this in? Does the word of God give me any insight? Do I go to the word of God? Do I just say God would never? How do we answer these questions? It's got to be Satan. It can't be God. God's answer to his prophet is challenging. Amen. Think about it. He's in the temple. He's He's a worker in the temple. He's probably a Levite. He gets a vision from God. This burden is his deep cry. His eyes are opened up to the deep corruption of the leadership in Jerusalem. It leads him to cry out to God, how long? When? Why do you make me see iniquity? Why do you idly stand back? And the answer comes so incredible that if God had not told him already, he would not believe it, nor could he conceive it. That God was behind the whole geopolitical scene. I can tell you now that God is behind everything. Nation will rise up against nation. Kingdom is going to rise up against kingdom. Human history is going in a direction. And at the end of human history, the Son of God will descend and conquer all evil by the speaking of his word. That's where it's all going. As a Christian, I know the end. But I know before I get to the end, i got to go to this, which is, it gets worse before it gets better. I want to be desensitized. I want to go golfing. I don't want to think about this. I want to come in and tell you Jesus loves you and everything's going to be okay tomorrow. Don't look at the newspaper. Don't, don't, don't read what's going on. Stay off of Instagram. Stay off of Facebook. Don't Twitter nobody. Just, just walk around in a vacuum. Peace, peace. That's what I want to tell you. That would be nice, wouldn't it? Peace, peace. But guess what? There is no peace. If that was the message of the scriptures, I'd give you that. I can't. As conscientious ministers, John and myself and true faithful ministers cannot come up and just say everything's going to get better. I wanted to. I would love to hear this. Pastor, remember that message you preached 15 years ago about Habakkuk? And I said, yeah, it goes, well, it never came to pass. I would say, praise God. Praise God. It's not that I want it to come to pass. I hope God takes 100 years before this happens. But it's going to happen. Please understand something. It might not happen next week. It might not get really bad in 10 years from now. But it is going to get really bad before Christ comes back. Remember something. It has to be a great apostasy. Amen? First Thessalonians chapter 4. The man of lawlessness has to be revealed. Amen? He who's holding him back has to be removed. Amen? We need the dragon, the antichrist, the beast, and the false prophet. We got seven seals. We got seven bowls. We got seven trumpets. We got... A quarter of the earth dying, then we got a third of the earth dying, then we got half of the earth dying by the time you got out of the book of Revelation. 
please understand something. I don't have anything but the truth to tell us. God didn't sugarcoat the truth to his prophet. Jesus didn't sugarcoat the truth to his apostles. John the seer, when he was caught up into, the, into heaven, wasn't sugarcoated the truth of what was going to take place. And neither should we, church. Amen. But please understand something. God challenges Habakkuk. Christ challenges apostles. The word challenges you and me today. And when I look at this God raising up nations, I remove myself personally from the equation. That means emotionally. I don't get emotional. God uses one wicked, wicked nation to judge another wicked nation because all nations are... I want to say that again. America the beautiful, I love her. But she's wicked like every other nation. Pure and simple. Corruption is everywhere. Law of God is perverted. It goes forth without any kind of justice. And when I remove myself, I think of when some of my wife had to go through chemotherapy. And you know, when you're 40 years old and 39 years old, you're not thinking about oncologists and studying cancer, and you get a fast-track education on cancer and chemotherapy and radiation and everything else. And when you find out that chemotherapy is one evil, did you know that? It kills the body. It kills. But it's sent to kill what? Another evil. So that life can be sustained. God uses one wicked nation to kill another wicked nation. God will use one nation over another nation. God will use one evil against another evil. He uses it any way he wants. He doesn't put evil in a nation's heart. He doesn't put evil in a man's heart. He knows nations are going to do evil. So God says you'll do it my way, my time, and in my direction for my glory. Do you hear me? This is not God putting evil in a man's heart and saying, do me a favor, good man, good nation. I'm going to put evil in your heart and now kill all the good people. No, no, no. This is God using it just like the doctor would use chemotherapy. He takes evil and he points it in the direction he wants it to go. On his timeline. For his purpose. And for his glory. And if the word of God didn't teach me that, like Habakkuk, I would not believe it if I heard it with my own ears. Let's pray. Let's have communion. Let's prepare our hearts for communion. And remember, today's message is only the groundwork until, for the further revelation that's to come. All right. So this is not the last word from God to Habakkuk, nor is it to me and you today. If you want to read chapters 2 and 3 of Habakkuk and watch how the answer of God unwinds in the prophet's life. But Father, we come before you, Lord. I would not believe it if I had not read it with my own eyes, God. That Isaiah the prophet teaches us that God lowers a nation and he raises a nation. That he lowers a king and he raises a king. That God does all things according to the counsel of his own will. 
and no man or nation can thwart his counsel. God's ways will prevail. The Son of God, the Lamb of God, the Lion of the tribe of Judah is in absolute full control of human destiny and human history. And our names are written in his wonderful hands of life. So we thank you, Father God. We thank you that you started speaking to your prophet, that you heard your prophet's cry of how long, and you gave him an answer that was already in effect, Father God, that you are behind the scenes, renewing us and bringing us to a new heaven and a new earth. And I thank you that your word reveals it to us, because as we all say, what we all know, if you did not teach us in your word, we would never believe it, Father. So God, bless the sermon, Father God. Bless it on our hearts, Father God. And God, bless the sacraments which we are about to take in, Father God. Because Jesus Christ took our condemnation for our sin in his broken body. In his shed blood, Father God, he ushered in the new covenant with greater promises, Father God. That we can sit here and we can proclaim the truth with a joy. And, and, and even sorrow in our heart at the same time. If we see what's going on in this world, Father God, we know that Jesus Christ has conquered all evil at the cross of Calvary. And he saw Satan fall like thunder from the sky, Father. We know it, Lord. We know what the end of the book says, Father God. We know our names are written in the Lamb's book of life, Father God. So I pray, Father God, as we partake in communion service, Father God, we truly do with gratitude in our hearts, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.